This is the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, and I thought I'd preach about uh, some themes. What do Episcopalians mean when they use the term authority? Are there times when through our actions we need to identify with the vulnerable and fragile people uh, by our behavior? How do we understand as people living in 2015 the whole idea of casting out demons and the power over the spirit world that Jesus is said to have in the Gospels. So i just like to remind us all uh, once in a while that uh, Episcopalians do believe in authority, and what we understand as authoritative are three things. The Bible, the tradition with a capital T, and our human reason and experience. And so... the danger, of course, is freezing those and saying we have, been, we have received a uh, tradition or biblical interpretation has remained the same throughout the ages. The tradition must not be altered because that uh, begins a, a, a decline that we can't bear. And finally, what do we mean when we use reason and experience? How do we understand what that means? So a famous theologian that I like named John McQuarrie said that uh, authority is derived, authority involves consensus, authority is, authority is relativized by virtue of living in the middle of it. Authority requires intellectual integrity. So when we think about that, we're going to talk in just a minute about the first Corinthians, and then we're going to talk about the gospel and see uh, how we understand what that might mean. Um, it's not a bad thing to say that the uh, three-legged stool, which I have just described, is historically conditioned. And you know, three-legged stools can have a number of uh, different designs, colors, and the way in which we, we do what we do. Um, A three-legged stool is pretty firm, however. Four-legged stools can get a little uh, unstable if we don't think about it too clearly. So that's an important thing. So let me say something about... uh, Oh, the other thing I want to say is in, in the culture in which we find ourselves and have for a long time, authority has been relativized to the point where each of us create our own reality, or that's how a lot of people want to think about what it is that we do, you know. Wade Clark Roof, who uh, Mother Morrison and I took a class from him 20 years ago. Seems like only a few. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at, at Bertha Pacific School of Religion. And he is was the great guru of... Uh, baby boomer spirituality. And he wrote a book called A Nation of Seekers. And by then he was teaching at the University of California in Santa Barbara. And he'd become an Episcopalian and went to Trinity Church in Santa Barbara, where one of the, the, the rector then w- was ordained a deacon with me at Grace Cathedral, Mark Asmund. So he started to talk about this, and he mentioned in his, that in his book he had referred to a woman that he had been following 
he's a sociologist, and he'd been following her for a while in terms of her faith journey and everything. And he asked her what she believed in. Her name was Sheila. And she said, I believe in Sheilaism. <laughs> there are lots of people who do. You know? So in the three-legged stool, when we talk about re reason and experience, uh, it's important to know that many of us hold positions and come to positions that may not have uh, come to us as the result of reason. The famous Ralph Qualls comment that I, oh, I should put it on my wall when he said this. Uh, he was in city government for most of his active career, and he was talking once with uh, a city attorney who said to him, Ralph, you cannot reason someone out of a position that they did not use reason to get into. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's always important to know whether reason has actually been applied or whether it's merely experiential. The Elizabethan divines, when they used the term reason, they understood that your experience is folded into that, but they understood that the importance of clear thinking uh, is essential and important when we come to any of the big issues in our lives, or for that matter, the little issues, you know. I heard somebody speak once in a seminar of our capability of making serious thinking errors. And we're all vulnerable. So what is authoritative has something to do with how we understand that moving forward. So step away from that for a minute. And uh, Paul is today in 1 Corinthians talking about a real pastoral situation on the ground. And so there, there needs here to be clear thinking, but filtered through the fact that he was living, or he, he was writing then probably in the middle of the first centuries, maybe 48, 50. And here's the situation in the church in Corinth. Most of the people that he's writing to here are Gentiles. They're not Jews. So they have no great tradition that has been around for two or 3,000 years by then. They have a tradition that many of them inherited from one or the other of the Greek mystery religions that they practiced, if they practiced religion. And a feature of those religions is uh, the sacrificing animals to the god, the deity, whatever it is. And often in Corinth, the butcher shops would be right next door to the particular temple, and the meat that was sacrificed was then sold by the butchers in the shops. So some of the people who were part of those religions uh, and converted to Christianity had a scruple. And the scruple was sitting down and tucking in to meat that has been sacrificed to idols gave them the idea that they were being somewhat, uh, uh, they were compromising th their views about what the meaning of this meat was as they grew into that tradition. And they were very hesitant. And so Paul is speaking to the people who don't have scruple, really, and we're saying, what, what do you need to do for these people who, for whom this could be a deal breaker? 
It could, it could send them out of the church. So what do you do? So he's saying, I'm not suggesting that you don't eat meat, but I'm suggesting that you be a little conscious about what's going on. Now, that's, this seems to be a first century problem for sure. But in this day and age, uh, and it wouldn't be correct to call this politically correct at all. Uh, we do this in our community life together in churches now, don't we? We have gluten-free food at potlucks, right? We're aware of the fact that there are some people who are, who, who, who are not able to drink alcoholic beverages. Nancy's niece refers to serving uh, alongside alcoholic beverages, non-alcoholic beverages she calls ENAPs, equally attractive non-alcoholic beverages. Okay? And you do that because there's some people for whom that could be a danger. They can't eat stuff with gluten in it. There are other kind, I mean, there is a truth to the fact that this food thing can get pretty complex. But it does reflect a legitimate feeling that everybody's in and that we want everybody to be in. And we should be sensitive to uh, issues that might not keep them in. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying you need to be sensitive to that. And so in certain circumstances, I'm not going to eat meat. You know, it isn't going to kill you. But the, and we also need to do that. So he's talking about the idea that we should be sensitive to those things with one another. Um, Mark's gospel uh, has the story of Jesus uh, m encountering in the synagogue a man who was possessed by a demon. And he exorcises the demon. In the Greek text, there's a wordplay here because it describes Jesus talking speaking as a person who has authority, exousia. And he exorcises the demon, exorcizo. So there's sort of... Here's what Mark is after, without dwelling on all... I'm going to say a little something about exorcism in a minute, but... Uh, in Mark's Gospel probably uh, more than the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Luke. Uh, Mark is concerned to demonstrate that Jesus is, uh, has mastery over both the material world and the spiritual world, the unseen world. And so you'll notice in other episodes, aside from this one, it's the demons who recognize Jesus and refer to him by his messianic titles. The disciples are clueless. Have you ever noticed in Mark's gospel, Jesus says stuff, then he, he does all this stuff in there. <laughs> what was that, you know? <coughs> over and over again. And so Mark is at pains in the way he wrote his gospel to say, Jesus has mastery over the spirit world. He has mastery over the demons and the spirits. 
And they know this, and so they recognize him and call him by his messianic titles. And Jesus exercises uh, the demon from this man. Now, the great question is, is exorcism a lively issue in 2015 in the Episcopal Church? So I'll just read this to you. This is from Lesser Feasts and Fasts. You know, it's all the sort of little sacramental things that we do, not sacraments, but or other <coughs> kinds of things when, you know, blessing the Christmas crash. And so there's a, a page here that, uh, titled Concerning Exorcism. And here's what it says. The practice of expelling evil spirits by means of prayer and set formulas derives its authority from the Lord himself who identified these acts as signs of his messiahship. Very early in the life of the church, the development and exercise of such rites were reserved to the bishop at whose discretion they might be delegated to selected presbyters and others deemed competent. In accordance with this established tradition, those who find themselves in need of such a ministry should make the fact known to the bishop through their parish priest in order that the bishop may determine whether exorcism is needed, who is to perform the rite, and what prayers or other formularies are to be used. I was the rector of Christ Church Sausalito for 13 years, and I had a ministry to the houseboat people in Gate 5. And I was down there frequently. Stuart Brand, by the way, wrote the Whole Earth Catalog. He lived down there. Lots of interesting people. Drug dealers. Just a general cross-section of my mother would say, the seamy side of life. <laughs> and I baptized a lot of the children down there. And uh, a few of the people came to, the, came to church, but not many. But one of the things that I encountered there were people who had gotten into stuff, not unlike this, that taught me, don't do this. Do not do this. It may seem silly to say so because, you know, there's, there's a number of, of brands of Christianity who sort of live th their life in the middle of this, don't they? They're exercising left and right. Everybody's got to get a demon exercise from them and so forth. Well, there's some people who do have demons who afflict them, and they're not funny. They aren't. So we don't need to engage in any kind of uh, strange supernatural practice to do this other than to be aware, be aware of the fact that evil can manifest itself in ways that we often poo-poo and that we need to be careful. The other thing I want to say is that sometimes exorcism can occur through the ordinary practices and sacramental life of the church and people are benefited by this who are in turmoil internally. I have a, a series of commentaries uh, that I use sometimes when I prepare my sermons called Feasting on the Word. <clears throat> and they are a series each, each week in each cycle. They have a series of um, 
writers uh, who, who speak about this from an exegetical, homiletical, pastoral, you know, various points of view, and they sort of natter on about what to do or how it goes. <clears throat> and I read this week uh, the, the, the column on, I think, the pastoral one by a Presbyterian minister who's also a biblical scholar. But he was uh, a parish minister, and he one day had a man come into his office. I've actually had some similar stuff, not quite exactly like this. And he said, uh, I would like you to give me a blessing. And he said, I think it'll, I'll feel better because I ha I'm, I'm afflicted with some something has gotten into me. And I'd just like you to bless me. And so he explained to him in a rather elaborate way that Presbyterians don't normally do these things. <laughs> and he said, I, I don't want, I just want you to give me a blessing. That's what I want. You know, you don't have to cross candles or do any stuff. Just give me a blessing. So he, he did. And the man left. And he said, I wonder what ever happened to him. Whether it did any good or not. You know? And that's a cautionary word for those of us who are in the clergy, I think, to not uh, just to do it. But at the same time, I think it's true for people that we tend to think, well, uh, is God present in the ordinary and the commonplace and in the ordinary way in which we uh, interact with one another in the life of the church, you know? I had a man come to me here from the roasting company about 20 years ago who had been troubled about something that happened in World War II. And he felt that there was something that was afflicting him, that uh, he, was, he, was, he wanted some peace. So each one of us possessed the ability to do this. You know, you don't have to be ordained to do it. You can, you can uh, give somebody uh, a measure of serenity by virtue of your presence in that sense. So I always think about it when I read these exorcism passages. We also have to be careful that we're not too quick to do this or think that we're equipped to do this. I, I can't remember the in the gospel somewhere, maybe it's the Acts of the Apostles, there are a bunch of people going around uh, trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name and they run into one of them and the demons come out of this guy and beat the daylights out of them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were not prepared. They were not prepared to do it. And in the Roman Catholic Church, there are exorcists, and some uh, Anglican dioceses in England, there are exorcists, uh, mostly clergy, but not always, uh, who have special gifts for this. And often they are very theologically unsophisticated. Which you may say, well, figures. But, you know, it's, it's people who are not sidetracked by the complexities Sometimes you need clear thinking in the midst of this kind of, this kind of thing.
And if you've ever seen anybody who's had something get a hold of them like this, like on gate, in gate five, you'll know that this isn't funny. And you have to be equipped to do it and also equipped to say, this is outside, this is above my pay grade. <laughs> you know, we just can't assume that we're all capable of doing that kind of thing. So Mark is at pains to say, Jesus is the one who has mastery over our demons and is the one present in us, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us to get clear with our emotional, spiritual, and mental states. And that's part of the good news. So this week, see if um, you can be an instrument of welcome in your life with people who uh, may have be particularly vulnerable or have special needs. And... Um, Give thanks to God who is uh, Lord of all. Amen. Amen. Amen.